0: You're focused on making important decisions to take your company to the next level, but who's counting? We are counting on trends and insight to move your business forward operationally and strategically focused on helping executives achieve their highest potential. But who's counting is a podcast shedding light on and breaking down critical issues and opportunities for businesses brought to you by Anders CPAs and advisors. To survive and thrive in the current business environment, CFOs need to adapt in their roles and go beyond just financial insight. In today's episode, I sit down with longtime fractional CFO Beth Schulte to discuss the changing role of the CFO, implications of today's talent shortage on the accounting profession, the importance of embracing automation and RPA tools to move your team to focus on more valuable work, and M&A trends and why businesses should always be prepared to sell. So Beth is a principal and director of CFO services with Anders Advisors. And so Beth brings extensive experience. And so I think we're going to have a great conversation today talking about the changing role of the CFO and how finance and accounting is evolving as we move into this post-pandemic phase. So Beth, welcome. Glad to have you here. Thank you, Dave. It's a pleasure and an honor
1: to be here today.
0: So Beth, just so our listeners have an understanding of your experience, just give us some highlights of your career, just so people can understand and have context of where you're coming from.
1: Yes. So... I actually have a vast amount of experience as a CFO. I was actually a CFO of a publicly traded company as well as CFO of smaller companies and even a physician group. And then I have been working in the fractional CFO space and virtual CFO space for over 20 years. Work predominantly with business owners and entrepreneurs.
0: So one of the things I want to make sure that we cover, you know, it, it seems like the pace of change continues to accelerate, technology becomes more and more prevalent, and the, the role and expectations around what a CFO does is changing. Over the course of this discussion, I'll take you through some of those topics, but I really want to get your take just from the beginning. You know, do you see the, the role and the expectation of a CFO changing and what are some of those factors that you see that that really, you know, business owners need to be thinking about in terms of what their expectations should be and what's realistic?
1: So the role of a CFO, great question. The role of a CFO has, I think, evolved to be, at least in my view, more of a, almost a co-CEO is mm-hmm. what I would call it, where you're helping business owners make strategic decisions for their future, you know, doing things like scenario planning you know, should they acquire, should they be acquired and organic growth versus acquisition, things like that. So it's evolving, especially in this market now with uh, the talent shortage, as well as the pl- supply chain issues. So the role is, I believe, just more and more important to business owners to making sure that that role is uh, the right fit for the organization, the right culture, but really that that individual can be fluid Mm -hmm. and work in any environment as we've seen through the pandemic recently.
0: So do you think as a result of that, and hopefully as we emerge from the pandemic, I mean, do you see, do you see the pace of change picking up? Do you see it accelerating? Do you see us kind of, we're good for a while? Kind of, what are your thoughts on that?
1: So a black swan event like the pandemic, we could say that, you know, I do think that the pace is picking up. Um, you know, in certain industries, there are certain industries that that it's just. Um, I feel like some of my clients in certain industries, there. I feel like I've always got my running shoes on, especially in the software technology space. There's always constant change with AI and blockchain and all the technologies that I I feel that the world is embracing uh, more readily. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of it depends on the industries that the clients are in.
0: Okay, so you mentioned talent. Let, let's explore some trends now. Obviously, we're all aware of some of the challenges in terms of finding talent. So I guess what implications does that have for a CFO in building their teams and their responsibility to, to the company in terms of thinking about things at a at a macro level? What are some of the implications of what's happening now with talent?
1: So since there are less and less accountants going into into that role.
0: Which actually, I think that's a good point that you know, our listeners may not realize that, but one of the things that's happening over the last several years is that there are less and less students being enrolled yes. in the accounting profession. As a result of that, there's less graduates and then also there's less CPAs coming into the profession. So I think that combination of you got this significant wave of retirements combined with the, you know, the other factor that there's not as many people coming into the profession. I think that sort of sets the stage for a really challenging environment for finance and accounting.
1: Yes. And it's, it's at all levels. And so what I find is, is a CFO, it's finding the talent and being very flexible with that talent, you know, allowing the talent to work remotely, you know, if it's the right setting and, you know, you've got to be, you know, not necessarily looking for someone specific with accounting, you could, you know, train and coach and mentor someone maybe that has a finance background Mm -hmm. and things like that. So, but it's, it's created a squeeze at times within the organization where they just can't find that talent pool. So therefore the business owners I work with helping strategize about what their current state is in their organization and then planning future state so we can continue to cultivate either and grow their current talent and retain them and also strategize about future talent, as the, especially at the organizations in a high growth mode. What if you can't find
0: the talent? I mean, we get calls every day from CFOs that are like, I, I don't get it. I used to be able to post an ad and I'd get 60 resumes and I'd pick and bring in five and I'd pick my candidate. Those days are gone. How does a CFO adapt if you can't, if the talent's not there? So what, what what CFOs are doing is they're, they're
1: finding firms like Anders to supplement and augment their staff if they just cannot find staff either on a temporary basis or they're looking at times to possibly outsource either part of their accounting function, for instance, to a, maybe a payroll service that they're doing payroll internally, or they're looking to outsource the entire accounting function.
0: So what sort of structure do you think works best. If somebody for the first time, they've always had an internal staff and now they need to think about, okay, either I outsource my CFO function or certain parts are there. You mentioned payroll, I guess. Are there particular things that seem to be working well that business owners should be thinking about?
1: Yes. I'm a big advocate in finding companies like a payroll company that that's their core competency, Mm -hmm. letting that organization focus on that. So the, the business owner and the CFO can focus on what they what their core companies are as well as just having options maybe starting out first as maybe staff augmentation and see how that goes and as potentially as as your employees perhaps retire or they may leave, that might be a good opportunity to actually try a complete outsourced
0: accounting role. okay so let's let's switch focus a little bit and let's talk about technology. What should business owners be thinking about as it relates to technology, specifically as it relates to accounting? What are some of the technology trends and things that should be on their mind?
1: Well, first of all, I still am seeing a lot of business owners that still have and businesses that still uh, are not on cloud-based accounting systems. And the nice thing about the cloud-based accounting systems that they can plug and play with other, I would call them, add on software Mm -hmm. for instance there's a lot of software out there now for projections and cash flow models that plug and play well with cloud-based accounting systems Mm -hmm. as well as other modules so just Making sure that if you've got a project management software, or anything that that all of the software can communicate with each other and have can you know connectivity with APIs.
0: So really thinking about your tech stack and what your ecosystem is and and if you know if your accounting system is kind of the core of that ecosystem, mm-hmm. if it's not cloud based, then that creates a host of issues. If it is, then you do have opportunities to plug in a lot of these tools that are are evolving rapidly.
1: Yes. And I, I'm a big believer. I've I've been a proponent of software and technology and creating efficiencies in really my entire career. And now that there's so many options out there, it just helps business owners. And another area is that as there becomes an account shortage of accountants, it becomes more and more imperative to try to make sure that you're utilizing software and create efficiencies with software. In addition to the software, looking at automation of tasks if there's a consistent task that needs to be done or things being dropped into Excel and and, and you know, redone, I'm a big believer in creating process automation around software that could be, you know, additional resources for the organization, create efficiencies.
0: So RPA tools, robotic process automation, I guess that's what you're referring to in terms of how you can automate some of these things. Do you have a specific example of an area where maybe you had a, a, you saw a business that automated something that went well that other businesses should think about adopting?
1: Yes. I work with an HVAC contractor and they had numerous processes that were manual. I would call them manual. Mm -hmm. And it created, you know, they had basically four different staff, people working on you know, different areas in accounting. And by the time they were finished with the different automation and processes, they were able to reduce their staff by one person mm-hmm. and and repurpose that person in another department.
0: So, it, yeah, and I think that's important. It's not just about getting rid of people. I think the the problem now is there's too much work and too many things to be done. So if you can reduce that automation or through automation, if you can reduce the level of manual work and get people doing really value added activities, then that's going to result in a better outcome.
1: In addition, the accountants that are out there, they're demanding more valuable work. They don't want to be doing the lower level work that's mundane Mm -hmm. that could be done by automation. So the more challenging work you can give people in the accounting department, for instance, the, the better chance you'll have to obtain and retain them.
0: Yeah. When I think about, I'm hearing the phrase, you know, employee experience. We always talked about customer experience, but I think the employee experience is now becoming more and more critical. And yeah, as part of that employee experience, if I'm spending half my day doing something that really adds no value that I don't like to do, how long am I going to stick around? You know, and I think that's another exercise that businesses should go through when there is somebody that exits the company you know, really looking at why are we doing that internally? Does it make sense for us to do this or should we have somebody that specializes in it actually handle this for us so that we can focus just on our core competencies? And it seems like that debate and discussion is happening more and more. I, I assume you would see that as as a, a positive step for businesses to have that thought process and think that through?
1: Yes, because it- once again, as the talent shortage becomes more and more imperative, the business owners that squeeze in that talent shortage is going to create, it creates a you know, a challenging situation where they will potentially not be able to get that talent pool. So the more they can automate, create efficiencies, and then just be open to outsourcing areas as needed
0: and i think we're really seeing that from another part of of what i have visibility to which is really in technology which is that sort of historically people have hired and they've had their own it team small it team that's handled technology for a small to mid-sized business more businesses are finding is that they either can't find those people or they turn and as a result of that it creates a lot of inefficiencies and a lot of pain for the organization in something that is a support function I want to transition, though. So one of the things that I know you talk about with your clients is a lot around M&A and capital structure and those types of things. The trends are an incredible amount of activity is happening as it relates to M&A for businesses. Do you see that going forward in terms of, you know, do you think the M&A activity levels that we're seeing now are going to continue for the foreseeable future? Or kind of what's your what's your take on that?
1: M&A activity will continue at a very fast pace because there's just so much capital in the market because the stock market has done so well for so many years. So there there are actually more potential buyers or acquirers than there are companies to acquire. Whenever I meet with business owners, I strategize with them on how to prepare themselves for sale mm-hmm. at any moment. The issue is I've had clients that you know, that I've worked with later that they, they were sold and they started a new company and they really weren't, they really weren't prepared for that sale. Mm -hmm. It takes some time. It takes time and effort and a a business acumen to stay focused on preparing for that. Yeah. I I think,
0: I think every business owner, when you talk to them, it's like, Oh yeah, I want to be prepared and planned for an exit. But day to day, you just never have time to get to it. It's one of those things that, you know, how can a business, Actually, get prepared. What are the steps that a business should take to actually be thinking about and preparing for a, a potential exit? If they were to have an acquirer that contacted them that they wanted to execute on, what are the things that they need to be thinking about to get ready for that day?
1: One of the largest areas is that they need to make sure that they can retain their staff because so much of the value in the business, depending on the business, lies in the staff and the management, and the, the value
0: lies in that. And less reliance on the owner.
1: Yes. And so making sure that, that if that owner did exit eventually, that the business could continue and, and you could you know make sure that you've got a good culture and that you've got your people that are, especially in the management positions, that they would stay on. Another area is just making sure that everything's buttoned up with your financials, meaning that you've got consistent financial reporting and all that information gathered in, in one spot in case a potential acquirer would come knocking on your door, you'd be able to provide that information.
0: So Beth, what if I'm a business owner, but I've never had a financial statement audit? I kind of know somewhere in the horizon I need one, but I'm not necessarily prepared for it today, nor do I really understand what it entails to actually complete and perform a financial statement audit. First
1: and foremost, what I'm seeing with my business owners is they typically have, you know, require an audit if they're getting a you know, a large, significant amount of capital okay. from a potential investor. Usually it's a bank covenant as well with their debt, or it's, I see nonprofits that that's required by their board in those situations, you know, those are essential. I think that you know, a typical business owner, they don't really have to have an audit, but you know, preparing for one, just in case one of those situations might come up again right. would be important. And it, it takes a significant amount of time to prepare for an audit, and that is, one area that I, I do work with clients on and helping them get prepared for their financial audit because of my audit background.
0: Because like I, I may not have policies and procedures. I may not have, I mean, there's certain things yeah, I've never documented my internal controls. Are there a lot of steps and does it take weeks or months or years to get ready for an audit if I've never really done any of those types of things?
1: Typically with small businesses, you you really don't see documentation of internal controls and policies and procedures. So you know, getting those documented and, and the workflow related to them is, is important. That alone, along with just getting all your financials together and getting prepared, usually takes, I would say, probably if you've never had one, at least a minimum of six months or longer.
0: If you've never done this before, do you have the internal expertise to even know what you're doing Or is it going to be a lot better if you bring in somebody who's been there, done that, and been through this process before? Reusing templates and things and and frameworks that you've used in the past, is that a way you can accelerate the process?
1: Yes, I have certain internal control checklists, for example, and things like that that are based uh, for middle market and small businesses, and some of them actually by industry. But also just helping guide the clients on, you know, whenever they do go through an audit Mm -hmm. to be that liaison for them. Because when the auditor starts talking about certain things, it's kind of funny. We get off the phone and the the business owner will ask me, you know, what what were they really asking? Mm -hmm. So I'll be somewhat an interpreter to help the business owner and the client's.
0: Yeah. Cause it is a slightly different yes. um, it's a slightly different language and the auditor knows what they're asking for and and why they're asking it. But if you've never been through an audit, you're not going to know that or understand that. So
1: in that situation, it, it's a lot of interpretation and just a lot of, I call it handholding to make sure that the business owner completely understands the risk and what the auditors are asking for. So then they can have a smooth audit and the, the whole goal is to get a clean opinion.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So increasing the probability of success of that audit effort so that you don't have any issues when the auditors are done at the end of the day.
1: And internally within an organization, they're so busy. It, it's hard for someone to be the driver of the audit on the client side mm-hmm. at times. Mm-hmm. So I typically play that role and assist in the the driving to make sure that we are moving forward and we're moving along and, and having that communication with the audit firm themselves.
0: So we're visiting today with Beth Schulte, who serves as a fractional CFO for small to mid-sized companies. So Beth, you know, from a CEO perspective, what are the types of things that you see CEOs asking CFOs to deal with? What are the, what are the current issues that are prevalent in terms of when you're asked to serve as a fractional CFO, what are the most common things that you're being asked about and business issues or matters that you consult on and advise on?
1: Probably the, the main area of focus that I have for my business owners is really assisting them with strategy on what are their goals, first determining their goals mm-hmm. and then how we can achieve those goals. because every organization has different goals in different, I would say different areas to strive for. And so just articulating those, getting those down and then and then creating a you know, somewhat of a strategic plan to execute those goals over a certain time horizon.
0: I would think a lot of people would be listening to this and saying, that's not really what a CFO does. But but I think what you're saying is that the role of the CFO has changed. And if you're not heavily understanding, driving strategy, linking the financial efforts of the company to that, but it's more than just the accounting. It's actually influencing the outcomes of the business. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yes, because really the CFO role has their pulse. They have their pulse on the financial Uh, side of the business and to, to assist that business owner on how to drive things in certain manner with that financial knowledge is very helpful because typically a a business owner does not have that background. Mm -hmm. And I always call my call myself or kind of the right arm of the business owner Mm -hmm. to assist them with, you know, meeting their goals and, uh, and helping drive those goals to execution.
0: Okay. So as part of that, you're involved in, you mentioned earlier, the audit process, Sounds like if you're interfacing with the bank from a capital perspective. It seems the fractional CFO role is actually pretty broad in terms of the types of things that somebody wearing a fractional CFO hat would have to deal
1: with. Yes, it, it's basically assisting really that business owner with every aspect of the business as far as financial and accounting, but also A lot of it also at times is operational, Mm -hmm. Uh, making decisions on, um, you know, should we move into another geographic location? Should we acquire another business and fold it in? Or should we just continue with organic growth? Or should we do a combination of both? So a lot of it's scenario planning.
0: So one of the things we haven't talked about just based on, you know, those comments is data analytics and the importance of data because all those decisions or questions you just raised should be driven by data. So you, do you see that becoming more important for CFOs to have an understanding of data analytics, to know what to do with data?
1: Yes, I, I agree that data analytics is, is very important to the CFO role and the fact that you could have basically your dashboard and you can drill down to certain aspects mm-hmm. of, of the business quickly and have your pulse of what's going on in the business at your fingertips in order to pivot uh, in a different way if you need to, mm-hmm. if something maybe happens or goes on in your industry.
0: So the maturity of your your data strategy, really understanding what you're doing with data, probably a lot of small to mid mid-sized business owners may not have invested in that area yet, but it sounds like to make those types of decisions, to get those early warning alerts, the better data you have that you know what the data is is going to result in a better outcome
1: absolutely the the more information that you have at your fingertips and the more you can drill down is just going to help you make key business decisions mm-hmm. in in any environment especially in this very fluid environment we're in right now mm-hmm. So, one area that I did want to talk about is so many businesses need to focus on the market enterprise value, increasing that, because that's part of increasing the value of their business. So, mm-hmm. talking about the value of their business to constantly increase that uh, and be focused on that as part of their strategy. I actually have business owners, CEOs that ask, can you assist with that? Because it's kind of a, the organization has a certain value based on where they are currently. And the goal is to increase that market value over time by basically increasing typically their, their revenue pr- as profitable revenue. And so that can happen through organic growth as well as through either mergers and acquisitions, but to continually increasing their revenue along with their net profit to increase their overall market value. Cause it, they want to get to a point of depending on their industry, a, a pivotal point. For example, I, I work with a organization in the PR and advertising space once they get to a point where they're at 10 million revenue, then their potential acquisition target until they get to that point, they have been increasing their, their market value, but it is not to the extent that they want to, because eventually they like to be acquired. That's what their succession plan is.
0: Okay. There may be other areas where it's a higher growth area. So instead of, um, you may add a million in revenue, but it may increase your enterprise value by 3 million. Because the multiple you will get on that revenue is higher than than other areas. So looking and understanding all the levers potentially that could be pulled – to increase your enterprise value? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, that's the money as a business owner that you're going to walk away with.
1: Yes, and the areas that are what I would call hot areas right now that I'm seeing in certain industries are e-commerce. So you can quickly grow your your enterprise value, market enterprise value. And then secondly, really, is, is is really anything in healthcare related, especially healthcare tied with technology, especially in the wellness space. And then I think the largest area that I've seen in my career that the market value has increased is software and technology. Especially if you've got an AI component or, and or a blockchain component, those valuations have increased significantly where if you're adding in revenue or adding in, you, you get a very large multiple depending on your, your growth and your, where you are in that industry space. Mm-hmm.
0: So let's say I'm interested in, in, in private equity, and, but I've never dealt with that space before. When I think about enterprise value and what I I should work on to make myself more attractive to a potential private equity investment.
1: I mean, typically it's, it's, it's really about your revenue growth and revenue growth year over year, you know, and also depends on what, you know, if you're a, um, if you're reoccurring revenue in your contracts, depending on what industry you're in, a lot of those are really, I would say profitable revenue overall. Mm -hmm. And then you're a lot of times too, they're going to want to see you know, cash flow that's, you know, a company that's cash flowing, that is a profitable company mm-hmm. and they continue to be profitable and they continue to grow year over year with substantial growth.
0: So a dollar of revenue in MRR, monthly recurring revenue, is going to be more valuable than a dollar that's just a one-time project and in terms of how it's going to be perceived and valued.
1: Yes, that is correct. I mean, especially if you're looking at, you know, fintech software companies, technology those multiples of those businesses are, are very significant because of that reoccurring model of revenue.
0: So I'm a small business owner and I really, I'm not an accountant. I do not understand CPA stuff. I've never been through an audit. And what should I expect from my accounting team, my CFO? What can I do to assess that or understand what that might look like for my business? What's appropriate for my business and the investment that I make?
1: Great question. I I think one area that really does help is a maturity assessment, going in and and analyzing the staff that you currently have, as well as where the business currently is, and then analyzing on what future staff we might need, as well as what the organization might evolve. And some of that could be the assessment, but also then putting in different components of future staffing with potential technology uh, enhancements to create efficiencies for that staff by but, but guiding that business owner on kind of what the current state is and and how they typically compare to other, other businesses in their industry, as well as the uh, organization could look like in
0: the future. As we wrap up today's episode, it's now time for our Make It Count segment, where we summarize one key takeaway for business executives to count on.
1: I think the one area that business owners... Could really benefit from is always being prepared for a potential acquirer to come knocking on their door mm. meaning at any moment a you know, potential suitor would come and say hey i want to buy your business for x mm-hmm. and that takes you know business owners get uh they get you know bogged down or they get focused on running their business and the operations mm-hmm. and that uh being prepared for potential sale is not one of the top strategies on their list. Sure. Their you goals. get busy
0: running your business on a day-to-day basis and you kind of forget the ultimate objective is to cash out of this someday and get the maximum value for your business.
1: And having that acumen to be prepared and getting prepared and staying prepared mm-hmm. and almost really what I would say being on top of your game for that is important because in the end, whenever that acquirer comes, you'd, you'd be prepared and you'd get, potentially multiples higher than you ever would if you weren't prepared.
0: So those investments that you can make by actually being serious about this could potentially pay off significantly in the long run.
1: Absolutely. I've seen it time and time again where business owners thought they would never sell Mm -hmm. or the potential was not there and all of a sudden they're selling. And it doesn't mean that they fade into the sunset. A lot of business owners end up taking the capital from the sale of of that business and then just creating, you know, a different business. Mm -hmm. And so I, there's a lot of, I would call consummate entrepreneurs out there that they're just starting one and selling that off and then they just start another, but Mm -hmm. it's just always being prepared. So it takes, you know, it takes time and usually, you know, you've got to look to a trusted partner to assist with maybe driving that and making sure that you're always
0: ready for sale. Got it. All right. Well, thank you, Beth. We appreciate you spending time with us today. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Dave. It was my honor. Thank you for joining the But Who's Counting podcast. Make sure to never miss an episode by subscribing on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think by rating and reviewing. Connect with me, Dave Hartley, on LinkedIn and keep up with more Anders CPAs and Advisors insights by following us on social media through the handles in the show notes. We'll see you next time.